Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, founder of The Naked Voice, and this is our new online community where we are exploring, deepening, and evolving our awareness of the transforming power of compassion. Enjoy these new dialogues with a wide range of artists, musicians, writers, and philosophers, social entrepreneurs, and sacred activists. They are all visionaries, transforming lives through the art of conscious creative expression with practices inspired by their own unique life experience. The Voce Dialogues are dedicated to the compassionate evolution of life on Earth. Welcome, everyone, and it's my great pleasure today to be in conversation with Malcolm Stern. Malcolm, you and I go back many decades, <laughs> and I just want to really welcome you to the Voce Dialogues, which really is an opportunity for us to explore our very like-minded journeys, but that have taken us in very different parts of the world and so on. Big welcome to you, Malcolm. Thank you, Chloe. So Malcolm, everyone, has worked as a group and individual psychotherapist for more than 20 years. He's co-director and co-founder of Alternatives at St. James's Church in London and runs groups internationally. His approach involves finding where the heart is and helping individuals access their truth. Now, Malcolm, you have worked with untold numbers of groups in all kinds of different realms of reality. You've worked with death groups men's groups, you run a London year group. And just before we, were, we came on recording, we were talking about the importance, the absolute significance of our role as wisdom elders. And so I would just love, first of all, to ask you what it's like to be a fellow pilgrim and what it's like to have spent so much of your life really generating a language of compassion, because compassion really is the theme of our conversation here. Well, for me, there's no other journey. Uh, I, I, what I see is that my life is, whether I like it or not, it's, it's in service. It's in service to evolution. And that can sound incredibly grandiose, but it doesn't feel grandiose. It feels like there is, I have no choice. I have to follow what's being born within me. And every time I've done that, I've found that the path has led, not obviously, because sometimes very painfully, to a place where compassion has been expanded in me. What is it, this impulse? Where did that come from? Can you sense where it was, where the influences earlier in your life, where that sense of calling was born? Yes, um, I, I have a very clear perspective of the moment it was born in me. And I want to just head this by saying this is not a, a, a pro-drug talk. I, I was with some friends and I took LSD. Mm. This is back in the 70s. Right. And I was an estate agent at the time. Mm -hmm. And suddenly everything dropped away and I realised 
that I was in touch with the, the workings of the universe. Mm. And a lot of people use drugs and they stay on drugs forever. I only took LSD once. Mm-hmm. And that was enough for me to see that, that what I believed before was all untrue or was a tiny fragment of the whole picture. Mm-hmm. My life has been dedicated since that time to finding out what I am in relation to the cosmos and what I can do in, a, in order to serve the process of evolution. Mm-hmm. And my friend still, who I took that with still say to this day that I never came down from the acid. <laughs> <that I did. laughs> oh, that's well, I would say that's absolutely true. Um, and you have, because I'm remembering now as you're telling that story, that we go back to the 80s when we, we met with uh, Ramdas. Roger Houston brought uh, through the open gate Ramdas and all kinds of people. Well, uh, you and Roger Houston, this is really important. You and Roger Houston, uh, although you probably don't know this, I probably hadn't said it before, you are the reason that Alternatives grew to the level it's grown to. So wow. this lecture series that I have and, and workshop and retreat series that I'm, I founded and, um, and that I'm a co-director of still was uh, magnified when I met up with you and Roger and we talked about bringing some of the speakers through, through the Open Gate Trust to yes. speak at alternatives and then to do workshops through you guys. And suddenly we had people like Ramdas, we had Thich Nhat Hanh, we had Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. We had a lot of major players and alternatives lifted from being a small discussion group into a major lecture series. Wow, wow. You're a big part of that, Chloe. So our lives have inter- interacted oh. uh, over the decades. Well, God bless you. And thank you to Alternatives, too, because it was then, uh, it worked all kinds of ways, because it was then instrumental in, in really promoting the work of the Naked Voice as well, and the whole language of sound and the, you know, sound as a force for compassion through, you know, all the different modalities of sacred music and so on. Yeah. So, so this is a kind of mutual gratitude session. then. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a mutual recognition Yes. Of the fact, you've used the word fellow pilgrims, and I use that a lot in my groups. Uh-huh. We are fellow uh-huh. pilgrims. We, mm. we are not, we didn't arrive on planet Earth having lived there all our lives. We came from somewhere. We inhabit this body for a period of time, and then we disappear somewhere mm. else. And ultimately, we are, in effect, pilgrims. Mm. And I think the recognition of fellow pilgrims is extremely important because they are what I would call the Sangha. They are what I call the community of like-minded others. So these people like you and I make our lives easier because we know that we can rest in being who we are in the company of certain others. Mm, I love that. I love that. And it is, it's an incredible privilege, isn't it, to be able to generate and to be able to participate in, these, in this growing community of compassion around the world. Which... And we're becoming elders. You and I are, are, are becoming elders. And it's like, I remember Ramdas saying once that a woman said to him um, in India, Ramdas, you look so old. And he was mortified until he looked <laughs> in her face and recognized that she was really honoring his eldership. And, I, and I'm, you know, I remember my brother-in-law saying recently, well, you know, it's, it's not fun getting old. And I thought, actually, I have never been more fulfilled in my life than I am at 69 years old. Yeah. Having run groups, actually, I've been running groups for 35 years. I've got to update my website, I've realised. Um, but I've been running groups for 35 years. And actually, that feels like such a privilege to be actually involved in people's psyches and to grow in that way. 
It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's also incredible that, you know, that we, we, we still live, we still live in a society where the education system is pretty much Victorian values. So hence the reason why, you know, people like you and me have had to generate this whole new conversation that has really encouraged, you know, a communion of souls, if you like, a sense of how a whole language of listening, which no one ever taught us about, you know, at school or even university. So I'm really excited that, that your new book, for example, which is we must absolutely celebrate, is coming forward, Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, 10 Ways to Thrive in an Unstable World. What a pretty far out, that's like the beginning and end of all books, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beginning and end of my life. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realise, but I am... I've, I've been writing, I'm almost finished the book, and it's coming out in September 2020. Mm-hmm. I've been writing the book, and, and, and the book has been guiding me into the direction it has wanted to go. And I've recognised now that it is my legacy book. It, it is actually the beliefs I've garnered over the years, and also the experience that I've gained through having lived through a terrible tragedy, which was the suicide of my oldest daughter, mm-hmm. which was the inspiration for this book. Because mm. I, I had found that if we suffer a, a major tragedy in our lives, mm. we can either sink or mm. we can allow that tragedy to break us open mm. until we become something bigger than we were before. And that's what's happened to me in Melissa's death in mm. 2014. I, I realise that I have to actually honour her legacy as Absolutely. well as my own for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Well, she is definitely with us in this conversation, that's for sure. Uh, And I mean, there is no question to be given such a a fierce uh, gift as that is a huge piece to really come to terms with or not come to terms with to really explore what, how I can awaken through this devastating experience and it seems to me that um, of all the people I know it seems to be the great souls that are given these fierce initiations like rites of passage where we're forced to face the nature of death itself the reality of it the illusion of it and of course as our as all our masters have told us death itself our relationship with death must die yes that itself is what must die it's as if she's given you the biggest most fiercest gift of all. That's, I really love that, Claire. You keep, I keep getting inspired with book titles. The, the fiercest gift, uh, the fierce mm. gift of awakening. I, I just, mm. I love that idea mm. that it's a fierce gift. And I do mm. feel exactly that. And I do feel her presence mm. often. Oh. And I know I've needed to speak about her. And, and often in lectures I give, I speak about her. She's, mm. She pervades my book, but not a sort of, oh my God, what a terrible thing has happened. But actually... This happened, and this is what it is educating me with. And bless you, darling, for being who you were and bringing me to this place. It's very often, I always remember in those gatherings with with Ramdas, how he talked about how sometimes uh, a human being will just literally take on the body um, for just even the period of a few months, let alone a few years, just just to experience what it's like to be in a human body. And then to move on again. And, and of course, very often, very uh, evolved souls don't need to be here that long. And sometimes they just need to find a, you know, a way to transit fast back into the more spacious etheric realm. 
of course, our minds will do everything we possibly can to try and make sense of that which we cannot make sense. Well, I think that's true. And also, I'm very wary of magical thinking where we yes. sort of go, oh, well, that means that. And so it's all... No. Actually, we ha- I have had to go through and am going through mm. an incredibly potent grieving process. Right. Without that, the spiritual stuff is, is a spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that grieving process has meant I've had to sob i've had to wail i've had to be confused i've had to reach out i've had to allow myself to be supported i've had to watch my other children's terrible terrible suffering Mm. in the face of their sister or their half sister's suicide and all of those things have have actually broken me open Mm. and michael mead says um, in order to become who we truly are our heart has to be broken not just once but many times and i absolutely get that i've been broken open and thank God I've been broken open because actually I was, you know, ossifying. Mm. And I'm not saying thank God for Melissa's death. I, I couldn't think of anything worse than to lose a child. Mm. But I do believe that there's a bigger process. But if we don't honour the mm. side of us that needs to grieve and wail and reach out and gather support and learn who we are, mm-hmm. then we miss out on something enormous. Mm-hmm. Well, this is really important to hear this message coming through from, from a man too. And I think for, for, for us all to be listening to how the feminine and how your own heart is giving voice at a time when the, the old paradigm masculine regime of colonialism and power over is really going down fast now. There's another level of devastation, of course, going on on planet Gaia itself. And I would love to hear how you are navigating your experience of compassion, your unfolding into compassion, your assistance of others in compassionate communication. How, how are you navigating that bridge between your personal life, your life, your professional life and the planet as a whole? I know you've just been with Jack Cornfield, haven't you? And he's, uh, I would imagine there's a huge information coming from that experience. You know, it was so wonderful being with a mentoring figure. And I'm not deifying him. He's a human being. Mm. But actually, he is, when he speaks, he's living his talk. Mm. I spent uh, six days with him in, in, uh, in Montserrat at, uh, at a monastery on, on retreat, which we organised for mm. him. So mm. I had a lot of time with him. And I... I can see when he speaks that actually what comes through is living in him. And it's, mm. it's, it was a role model for me of someone who's a little further down the path, but not, not a deity, not someone who, oh, Jack, you're so wonderful. But actually, Jack, you're living your, your truth. And when I sent him my, my book, he gave me an endorsement. Within a week, he, he, he wrote me a beautiful note and, sent me, and, and gave me an endorsement. And there's a generosity in him that I was really touched by. Mm. And, uh, and a softness and a compassionate nature mm. that is, for me, is what it's all about. But what I see is that, that, that actually life is a series of, I've started to see life as a series of practices. We have to find what it is that's going to allow our compassion to unfold and to be really born and lived out in the world. Mm-hmm. And for me, I see a series of practices, which is the, the reason I, it's not the reason I started to write this book. I didn't know why I started to write this book. So I needed to write about Melissa's death and what it had taught me. But what it came out with was 10 ways to thrive in an unstable world. There are 10 practices in this book, which actually, when we live out those practices, then we start to have a handhold on something that will support us from sinking in the morass of what's happening around us. And I have to find that for myself. 
And we have to create sanghas, spiritual communities, where we help hold each other's hands so we're not just adrift in all the pain and confusion, but in places where compassion is being spawned and born and lived out. That's, that's so crucial, isn't it? You're reminding me of um, a conversation I had with Rupert Sheldrake not long ago where he was just really inspiring me around the whole pilgrimage routes of the United Kingdom now, yeah. how yeah. those are all really opening up. Something like 50 cathedrals are opening their doors to increasing numbers of pilgrims, people just simply walking, opening up the old pilgrim pathways, opening up these kind of streams and rivers of, of spirit, which obviously precede the Christian. So I'm, I'm seeing this picture of Sangha and this understanding of Sangha, as you're describing it, within the field of the United Kingdom and beyond, of course, right across Europe. There are yeah. thousands of people taking to these ancient roots. It's amazing. Actually, and, and actually allowing nature... Yes. I read a book recently called The Overstory. Mm. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning and Booker Prize nominated, uh, it might even be Booker Prize winning novel. Yeah. yeah. Richard Powers, which is about the secret life of trees. Oh, I love it. Nature communicate with each other. It's like it woke me up. <laughs> I, I sailed on the Rainbow Warrior with Greenpeace in the 80s. Uh-huh. And I was woken to the, the magic of nature there and also to see what man would, was willing to do in order to sacrifice, in order to make the world a better place. Reading this book by Richard Powers, I recognised that actually th- these trees are our educators and, our, and our, the fine beings that surround us. And the plant world has a life of its own that has been much too subtle for me to take notice of until recently. There, there's such a metaphor and a symbol, aren't they, of, of how to communicate beneath the collective egoic mind. Yeah. No, we, think we're, we think we're the crown of creation. I what I learned at Greenpeace was the magnificence that is the, the, um, the whales and the dolphins. Yeah. But because they don't speak English or French or any other language, well, any other language we recognise, we have underestimated the magnificence that is also in creation around us. Yeah. So to actually be open to the trees now, as well as to the dolphins and the whales, I'm going, okay, so if, if humanity, if we did actually end up despoiling our planet sufficiently that it actually wiped us off like a plague or a virus, mm-hmm. at one level, so what? I'm really not saying that in a, in a way that's going, yeah, come on, death, come claim us. But I'm saying at one level, we are we possibly an experiment that's failed. But when I see people like you and when I see people like Jack Cornfield and Elizabeth Gilbert and Ram Dass and all the people who've inspired me over the years, I also see that the, the humanity is struggling to become that which it could become. Could we evolve sufficiently to reclaim the planet? Yes, I think, I think there's a chance. There's a chance, as Coleman Barks would say. There's a chance that this is going to be possible. And I, I, I'm really interested because obviously both you and I have been steeped in that whole kind of Zen, Buddhistic, non-dual, Advaita, impersonal consciousness reality, which says, you know, none of it matters, you know, because it will all take care of itself anyway and we mustn't be attached to anything. But, you know, you then listen to other people who, is, who have really investigated the whole evolution what is it, Thomas Berry and Greg Braden and, you know, Bruce Lipson, and these people who have really, really done their homework on the last 25,000 years and, and beyond. Thomas Berry, 8 billion years it's taken to create 
eight billion people, you know, to create the human form and the human consciousness that actually does have the capacity for enough humility. <coughs> it's the humility that it comes down to, you know, humility to connect and to engage with the teachings of hummus. As you say, we're back with the roots of the trees and how they engage underground uh, with each other. But I love that idea that Every 5,000 years, there is this kind of massive sort of evolution of and, and advanced civilizations and all of this stuff. And then because of just the, the little matter of power over and control and the egoic mind and, you know, this obsession with duality, that we every time self-combust, we, we self-destruct because of that, that attachment, that obsession with the dualistic mind. So it's a real conundrum, isn't it? That whether it's possible for us now to know how to, and to actually consciously, mindfully, wisely navigate this evolution once again, rather than just self-destructing again, another 5,000 years later. I well, don't maybe, think so. and maybe in the great scheme of things, we get a little closer each time if we look at this 5,000-year pattern. I mean, I, I'm wary of going too far into mysticism because I actually think we've got to face what's here. But Joanna Macy put it really well for me. She came and spoke at Alternatives. That we're in the next stage, at the next great time. There's been the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution. And now we're at the, the revolution of the great turning. Yes. And we don't know if we're going to survive or not. But what she said is what we can do is put our every ounce of energy into the, the, the will to survive, even in the knowing that perhaps it won't matter. But yeah. what does matter is actually investing in that. Right. So I do see that. And, and, and she's so inspiring. I mean, mm. I, one of the things from alternatives is I've seen so many inspiring people. Mm. And I've also learned that actually we've all got, we've all got shadows as well. Mm. That's been one of the major learnings for me, mm. that actually, yes, as inspiring as we are, we're also ourselves at times. Mm-hmm. But I love that image of the great turning. Uh, And that comes back again to what you were saying earlier about the need for skillful means. And obviously your book is clearly going to address that. I'm concerned, for example, and fascinated and really touched that the Extinction Rebellion, for example, is certainly flagging up this issue uh, and certainly bringing it to the attention of the media and so on. But I have a sense that what concerns me there is that there need to be within those uprising fields very skillful training that you were referring to earlier, skillful trainings that enable young people now, because they're the ones, as you say, that are going to inherit this situation. Really, that we as the Wisdom Elders give these young people and provide them with the skillful means to address the kind of levels of fear and duality and resistance and rage that we provide them really with the means to embody what nonviolence, uh, as it's been delivered over the course of time, what nonviolence really means now. And obviously the word nonviolence, it's like an old form, isn't it? It's like an old term in a way. We really want to talk about something that's more like pro-compassion. Well, I think compassion is one of the great keys. But it's interesting, as you're speaking about the elders, I'm thinking, yes, Mm. I hope we have a part to play. But actually, I'm also thinking about someone like Greta Thunberg, who is this extraordinary figure who just cuts through all the the, the, the rubbish and just says it like it is in a voice that can be heard by the whole world. That's inspiring. 
And that is, is definitely a signal, isn't it? It really signifies what you're talking about of this uh, sense that we and Joanna Macy's understanding that of the great turning that the next generation really does carry within it, you know, a new DNA, you know, the potential to communicate at a whole new level of activism, a modern, compassionate activism. Yes, and mo- that's right. Mm. Um, but it's interesting what you say about the elders because that's, um, I'd love to offer a quote here by George Bernard Shaw mm. uh, which has actually really inspired me and this is a quote I feel like I want to live by he says this is the true joy in life the being used for a purpose recognised by yourself as a mighty one the being thoroughly worn out before you're thrown on the scrap heap the being a force of nature instead of a feverish selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I have got hold of for a moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations. Wow. Well, Malcolm, we're actually coming to the end of this first conversation together. (laughs) But I am so grateful to you. And is there anything you'd like just to complete with? Because there's so much more to share. We haven't really shared the the joy that we're both getting from uh, collaborating with Bridget Bowen in the Compassionate Mental Health Community, which is a fantastic inspiration in this country. Yes. When Melissa died... Mm. Soon after that, um, Bridget Bowen rang me up and said, would you facilitate these compassionate mental health conferences? Wow. I had no idea about Melissa. And I thought I was going along there to be the great facilitator to, to deliver my wisdom mm. to these, um, these people, mm. who, who are, many of whom are suffering with, with their mental ill health. Mm. And what I realised is that I'd gone along there to be educated. You know, there's something about humility and also being that we are offered opportunities. Jung said everything is synchronicity. Mm. And I can see that in my life, everything has conspired to help me wake up. And if I can spot the signals, then Mm. that's wonderful. And I actually think that this thing around mental health, how could it be sane Mm. to be seen as sane in a world that's that's doing what our world is doing? And I think there's some great wisdom in what is seen as mental ill health, Mm. but it's actually sort of like an inability to be able to cope with the the terrible happenings that that are part of our world as it disintegrates and starts to try and become something greater absolutely well i love your use of the word conspire i love that conspire to wake up to wake up well thank you beloved friend and may your book slay your dragons with compassion 10 ways to thrive in an unstable world really just lead us into this new and great turning Thank you so much, Chloe. Always a joy to speak to you. Thank you so much. You too. God bless. That sound inside.